The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Join us as Pastor Randy Rehm shares truths from God's unchanging Word. So we are in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17. 17 and 18. Um, we read last time, but it's important to how it keeps us flowing. All the way to the end of chapter 5, it all flows together. But if I preached all of chapter 5 in one setting, we'd be here too long. And I would get hungry well before you. Um, so, so we're going to start in verse 17 of John chapter 5. We'll go down through verse 29. It's, it's a place where I had to find a sort of cut it off because he continues with his discourse here as it goes on. But like I said, you can't cover that all in one. At least I can't. I, I got stuck on the word amen for hours. We'll talk about that. But Jesus answered them, that is, the Pharisees, My Father is working until now, and I am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not, he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own Father, making himself equal to God. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, or verily, verily, in the King James, okay, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For what the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. That I could preach on that for an hour. Um, for... Not even the Father judges everyone, but he was given, has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of life into death. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he was the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. And those who did good deeds to the resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to resurrection of judgment. You may be seated. Context. Jesus has traveled, okay, to Jerusalem. 
He goes to, to the pool at Bethesda where, or Bethsaida where a bunch of lame people, a large room, they've dug it up, okay? A large room, a large pool where this guy was hoping to get healed when this story of these waters would get stirred up. And if you got in, you get healed, but the lame guy couldn't get there. Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. That's not the problem. He says, pick up your bed and walk. Okay? So, so the Pharisees, says the Jews, but we learn in chapter 1 that that's when John says the Jews, he's referring to the Pharisees in particular and the scribes. Okay? They're upset because Jesus had him do work, pick up his bed and carry it on the Sabbath. So that's where they're upset. Remember, for working on the Sabbath. Now listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus answered him, My father is working until now, and I am working. Because remember, they took the guy and they asked him, Who did this? Who told you to work on the Sabbath? He didn't remember. I don't know. The guy left in the crowd. Later, Jesus sees him in the temple, confronts him, tells him to stop being a sinner, that guy then goes back to the Pharisees and tells them who it is. Okay, who told you you can work on the Sabbath? And Jesus begins to say, God's working on the Sabbath. My father is working on the Sabbath, and I'm working on the Sabbath. Now, was he carrying anything? Nope. Okay, it's a different kind of work, obviously. All right? But he's asserting that God is his father, and therefore asserting that he's equal to God. How do I know that? Because the Pharisees want to kill him for that reason. It says it right here. Okay, But he's asserting that he has the authority to work on the Sabbath as much as God does. Okay, that, That's what he's asserting. And then it says in verse 18, for this reason, the Jews wanted to kill him, not just because he was breaking the Sabbath. How was he breaking the Sabbath? Because he was working. Out of his own mouth he said he's working. And he's accusing the Father of working on that day. But he's also calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Okay? And we don't sort of get all of that in our relationships. Father-son relationships aren't the same today as they were then, as in the sense of, of inheritance, authority, this kind of thing. I mean, today, if a woman doesn't have a son, nobody gets upset. In those days, you had to have a son because he carried on the authority, the name of the father. So we don't necessarily get it all. But these guys understood. If you're saying he's your father, you're, you're equal with him. You got the same genes, if I could say it like that. It says, so this is why they're seeking to kill him for those two reasons. He's working on the Sabbath. He is, not the guy. He's telling people to do it, obviously. Says the Father is working on the Sabbath. <gasps> Blaspheme. Okay. Then he says this, and I, we blow by this all the time. You, you know, you've heard it all over. Truly, truly, I say to you. Literal translation. Amen, amen, I say to you. That, that's literally, okay? It simply means truth. That's what amen in the root form means truth. It, it comes from another word, among, all right? Not like the people or the place. It's spelt different, all right? Among, uh, w- which meant firm, steadfast, 
you put a tent peg in, in the ground, and it's solid, it's firm. Okay? Truth is firm, immovable, unchangeable. I'll prove it later. Okay? That, that's really what it means. In Isaiah 65, okay, it says God is truth. That's the same word. God is, amen. It says it twice, by the way. It says, amen, amen. So it has different implications, though, how it's used and where in a statement it's used, whether it's at the beginning of a statement or at the end of a statement. In the Old Testament, we see it all the time at the end of a statement. Okay, In Numbers 5, the first place we see it, where a woman agrees to the terms of this particular legal proceeding. She says, here are the terms. Lady, if you're, if you're going you're gonna to come and come under, you've got to agree to the terms. Okay, I, I agree. So be it. Yeah, yeah, let those terms stand. Okay, let them be true. In Deuteronomy 27, it's where it's used most in the Old Testament. Twelve times, just in that one chapter. It is God's command through Moses that Israel ratify the negative terms or the consequences of breaking the covenant. With God. Look, at here, here, if you break the covenant, this is going to happen, and have the people say amen. Here, here's what happens if they break this one, and make sure the people have say, They're ratifying they've heard it and saying, yes, we agree to it. That is true. If this happens, that happens. That's true. Twelve times in Deuteronomy 27. Okay, when you get to 28, by the way, you get to the blessings, many of the blessings from that. But it's to the curses God commands them to do this. In Psalms, they come at the end affirming statements of worship. Okay, let me give you an example out of Psalms 72 and 19. Blessed be his glorious name forever, and may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Or verily, verily. That's the New Testament version. Okay? So, so it is affirming as true the statements of praise and worship. It says again, for example, in 106, Psalm 106 and 48, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and all the people say, shall say, Amen, hallelujah. Amen, praise the Lord. Yes, God from everlasting to everlasting. Yes, that's true. Well, praise the Lord then. This is, how, this is how it's used 22 times in the New Testament. Jesus is the only one that takes it and puts it at the beginning of a statement. Paul does it. It's at the end of a statement, like you see here. Okay? It's also used many times in a greeting. He writes a letter. May God of peace come you know, whatever, amen. Let, let God do that. Let that just be true in your life. But Jesus puts it at the beginning of his statements. So the first one emphasizes the veracity, the truthfulness, okay? Because 50 other times in the other Gospels, Jesus says just barely, or just amen, makes a statement. All right, look at, look at, these, this is true, but in, in John's the only one that uses amen, amen. Or verily, verily, or truly, truly. He's the only one who puts the double there. Okay? Um, that second one, this is where the scholar says it means. 
This is true. I know it's true firsthand. Okay? As a matter of fact, in this text, as we get further on, Jesus talks about the witness that he has, the firsthand witness. And we talked about that just a, two weeks ago. Okay? What is interesting is we all know that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you're in John 16 and 7, uh, when you read it in typical English, okay, basically, see, I say to you the truth. Uh, you can go to the Greek yourself. Here's what it actually says. I, the truth, say to you. The reason they change that so often, because you and I can't, nobody, they can't find that word order in any other Greek literature. Why? Because nobody else is the truth. I, the amen, say to you, well, if you don't want to buy that, in Revelation 3 and 14, Jesus is the amen, the faithful, true witness. Jesus himself is the truth. He is the amen. He is the verily, verily. Okay? Jesus knows the truth firsthand because he is the originator of it. He is the source of it. He is it. He's not just an example of it. He is it. I, I know truth firsthand. How do you know? Because it all began with me. There is no truth without me. So when Jesus says something like, uh, verily, verily, you better set up and pay attention. Now, if he is the truth, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8, truth doesn't change. If he is truth, and he doesn't change, truth don't change. You get this. What is interesting to me, if Jesus is truth, uh, the Satan, on the other hand, is called the father of lies. Right in the beginning, he says this, uh, did God really tell you the truth? Did God say? See, he is not the lie. He is the father of lies. In other words, he's the first one to do it. And the first thing he did is try to get you to believe that what God is is not true. Okay? I just find that a little side note. Okay? So the double amen is Jesus emphasizing this. The truth himself is speaking the truth to you. I, I told the truth in the garden. I'm telling the truth now, and I'll be telling the truth later because I am the truth. When he's saying this to you, you better pay attention. He says it three times in this parochope, it depends on how you pronounce it, this passage right here. Jesus says it three times. Well, maybe it's one I want to pay attention to. This is the longest discourse by Jesus himself on his authority, on his deity, on the unity between he and the Father and the Son and the Father. That's the longest one in all the Gospels. Okay? Pay attention. Well, if he's trying to get us to pay attention because he is truth and is telling the truth, what's he say? It's a good question, right? You'd want to know that. Truly, truly. I can do nothing unless. I'm going to stop there. Let me put it another way. It's impossible for me to do something unless. I know. With God, nothing is impossible. Within his nature. Since he is truth, he cannot lie. Jesus is saying, man, you know something that stops me from doing something? 
we see the same phrase, that unless phrase kind of thing. Matter of fact, we see it truly, truly unless. In John 3, 3 and 5, where Jesus says this, Truly, truly, no man can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. No one, truly, truly, I say to you that no one can enter the kingdom unless they're born again. And that's how they're regenerate. So, so he says it's impossible unless this. He uses that same phraseology. Okay? We see the same kind of idea without the double truly. Okay? No one comes to the Father un- or comes unto me unless the Father drags him. You say, no, it doesn't. Yeah, you go look it up. You, you, you have the word draw in your Bible. Okay? But, but they drew their nets in too. So they sat there and went to the nets. Come on, nets. Come on, you over here. Let me draw you. No, they grabbed hold of the nets and pulled it in. You can look it up in the Strong's Concordance yourself. The word is drag. I'm just thought I'd throw that out there. No one comes to the Father except through me. These kind of, this is impossible, except for these situations. Okay? The, the accent, if I could say it that way, of Jesus is putting here is the unless. Okay? Not, not really the impossibility, but the unless part. I can do nothing unless. It is something I see the Father doing. See, You've you got to understand what he's saying. No one has seen the Father and lived. In, the, in this passage in chapter 1, and later, Jesus emphasized that. No one see well, besides the Son. Okay? So, so when he says he sees the Father, right there, the Pharisees are... are <laughs> He's just adding to why they want to kill him. Now, the scholars who are much smarter than me, okay, says Jesus puts this in uh, parabolic language, parable-type language. So, a father and a son, in a sense, can be any father and son, but in particular, the father and the son. So we don't understand it like they do, but in their culture, you took on the occupation of your pop. So Joseph was a carpenter. Jesus was a carpenter. You basically apprenticed with your dad. And what you saw dad do, you did. So they're understanding this. This is why he's even talking about this father and son relationship. Is even more than me just telling you he's my father. No, 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 no. We, we apprenticed together, if I could say it like that. Okay. What I see the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does. Okay? Now, those of you that are here Wednesday night, you get this. And those who don't come, I'm not judging that. But, but when they come, they understand when we see the word for. F-O-R, the Greek word gar. Okay? When we see that, we take notice. Here... Jesus goes in four consecutive fours. Okay, he's, he's going to make his point through these statements. For this, for that, for this, for this. Let, let me explain deeper. This is one of the things that for means, okay? To reinforce the fact that the son's work is the father's work, he uses these four. Here's the first one. 
For whatever the Father does, the Son also does in like manner. Okay? The accent of this is that the Son does it in like manner. He's not explaining what the Father does. The point is what the Father does, the Son does. No one can do what God does. Uh, No one can forgive sins, but He does that. Uh, Matter of fact, no one has the power to override the Sabbath, but He does. No one can raise the dead, which He talks about, but He does. Okay? It is interesting that what the Father is doing, what tense is that? Okay? The Son does, present tense. Here's what he's saying. (laughs) What I'm doing right now and bringing correction to you is what the Father's doing right now. It's present tense. Okay? Right now, God's doing it, and I'm doing it. Uh, I don't know if I like that. I mean, if you're you're one of the Pharisees, then what you think about that? Not what I see the Father do, I will do. What I see the Father doing, I am doing. Okay? It's a continuous action, by the way. Is doing, has done, is doing, and will do. Then there's another four. Okay, so four, what he sees the Father as the Son does the same way. Okay. Next four. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he is doing. What tense? Now, before you get all, I, there are people who, when I go to tenses of verbs or adverbs or in language, the eyes roll back in their head. They start to fog over. Why do you do this, Pastor? Because Jesus did it. If you don't know what I mean by that, uh, go to Matthew 22 and then come talk to me about it. Jesus uses the present tense of a verb to prove the resurrection, the future resurrection. So, he loves shows, is doing, is what's called present indicative. That means it's emphasizing the point current, right now, at this moment. The father loves the son at this moment. While you're accusing him of blaspheming him, he is right now loving me. (laughs) And right now, he's showing me the things that he is doing right now. Well, we're talking At this moment, he loves me and is showing me what he's doing. I want you to think about that just a minute. And these will he show him that. So he's going to show him these things that he's doing or is showing what he's doing. Why is he doing that? That, so that, speaking of purpose, intent, that you, emphatic you, you the Pharisees, okay, will marvel. Okay. You don't realize that Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath coming up here, chapter 9. Remember, he puts mud in the guys, and then he tells the guy to go work on the Sabbath. Go and wash. You were supposed to do that the night before. You thought this was something? You already even seen something bigger. Okay, now you're going to marvel. Now, the word marvel, sometimes, even in the same version of the Bible, is translated astonished. Now, astonished can be positive or negative. I was astonished by the behavior of some of those people. 
That's negative. They were behaving negatively. But astonished can also be positive. See, we think of marvel as sort of a positive wow, but it could be negative. And I would suggest to you that's the way it is here in this case. As God vindicates the sonship and the authority, the divinity of Jesus, these guys will see it negative. I am just astonished by that guy's behavior. Do you know he claims to be God? Look what he's doing and he's saying he's God. It's going to compound what they're already doing. They're not going to like it. Especially when he heals on another Sabbath. Here we go. Then the next four. So, four, the son does what the father, he sees the father doing the same way. For the father currently, right now, loves the son. He is showing right now the son what he's doing, and the son's doing it. Four, the father raises the dead and gives life. So the son also, that statement's three times in this passage. So the son also gives life to whom he will. Now watch this. The father gives life. The son gives life to whoever he wants. Do you think this upset those Pharisees a little bit? Yeah, he's claiming to do only what God does according to his own will. What he chooses. So Jesus knows that the Pharisees are going to agree with the first statement. Hey, the Father raises the dead and gives life. Uh Uh-huh, 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 and so do I. Wait a minute. Wait, I I was with you. Because remember, the Pharisees are the ones who do believe in a resurrection. The Sadducees don't. By the way, that's the context of Matthew 22, where I mentioned a year ago earlier. The Sadducees trying to trick Jesus on the resurrection. Now, there is an allusion here possibly to Lazarus, which he's going to raise from the dead in chapter 12. But there's more to that, because listen... Raise the dead and get life. Um, that's sort of saying it twice, isn't it? I mean, when you raise the dead, aren't, aren't they alive? But he raises it and gives life. Or, let me put it there, gives you a new one. So this is referenced more than just physical death. I would suggest spiritual death brings new life. Not the same life, but raise it and then gives life. Here's the next four, okay? So four, this is what God does, the Father. This is what the Son does. In particular, one of the things the Father does is raise the dead and give life. The Son does the same by His own will. Four, here's the next one. For the Father judges no one. Stop. What? Yeah, people use that, by the way, all the time to twist Scripture. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's given all judgment to the Son. So who gets to do the judging? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's given them authority to raise the dead and give life. He's given them the authority to now bring death. Judgment. It isn't God who sends anybody to hell. It's Jesus. This is Stephen Wilson, and we want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope you were blessed by today's message. Truths from God's Unchanging Word is an outreach ministry of Kindred Bible Church in Caldwell, Idaho. If you would like to listen to other messages by Pastor Randy or learn more about Kindred Bible Church, visit kindredbible.org. Our prayer for you is that you grow closer to Christ as we study the truths from God's Unchanging Word.